All right, if you'll find your spot there in Nehemiah chapter 10, as we keep making our way through the book of Nehemiah, and uh, there should have been a worksheet and something to write with on your uh, chair as you came in. If you didn't find it, you might be sitting on it, so check under there and <laughs> get that out. And as you finding your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 10, we want to begin by discussing a couple of questions that I put on your worksheet there. And if you notice there, uh, it says, what would you do? Wasn't there a show along those lines or something sometime where they put people in situations and see what kind of response they would get? Well, we want to give a couple of responses from you tonight. What would you do? And so if you'll put yourself in, in these people's shoes, and I want you to answer these questions honestly and, and see what uh, we come up with here tonight. The first one said, what would you do if your boss asked you to lie to a customer, what would you do? What should you do? You should just tell them that you're not going to lie. What if you get fired? Well, you're you're going going That's right. Trust the Lord, man. This, this is where it comes from, from uh, good preaching to hard living, right? Where we, we have to put in practice what we've learned. And we have to obey the Lord in that. And if someone seeks for us to do wrong, we have to say, I'm not going to do it. Now, you do that kindly. You do that graciously. You can explain yourself and why you're not going to do that, uh, why your, you know, your uh, faith will not allow you to do that, why you cannot lie and why you cannot be dishonest. Be very respectful to your employer, um, but nonetheless, we can't lie. We should not lie as believers. All right, well, here's another one. If you're, what would you do if you're on a business trip and everybody else, everybody else is adding a little something extra to their expense accounts. What would you do? I wouldn't do it. Okay, you wouldn't do it? Is that easy to do? It's very easy person. It's very easy to do, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I travel. I travel on the church. You know, I have expenses. All right, so... Pretty much everybody here says that you wouldn't do that, right? Why, why, why not? Well, it's easy to do unless the others know that you're doing it and it makes them look bad and then it may not be so easy to do. Okay. But sometimes, you know, I remember, I remember when I was uh, working at the steakhouse in Bible College. Uh, man, I was, when I was the busboy, whatever night that was, and I did wash dishes and I would do busboy and then uh, I worked on the buffet bar and I'd assemble plates in the kitchen. I did. I think I did frying some, and I did. I don't make you hungry, but um, I used to get tipped off the tips of the waiter and waitress. Talking about being way down the line. In other words, they had the waiters and waitresses had to tip you. 
But if you've ever worked in a restaurant situation, you know, you get a base wage per hour. It's very little on what it is now. It's $2 or something, $2.50. It, it, it was $2 or something back when I was doing it, okay? That's their base hourly wage. But at the end of the night, you have to write down what you made in tips. What do you think happens at a lot of restaurants? There's a lot less reported than comes in. Had a bad night. Yeah, had a bad night. Had a bad night. Well, this is a true story. This was after Ted's... Are you going to confess? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, the steakhouse had just opened in Waysboro, and they hired him. That was his first little job after his accident. Okay. So I took him to work, and we picked him up. He didn't work for like two hours a night. And he came home that night with his pocket just full of money. I said, Chad, where would you get all that money? He said, I took it off the table. It was on the table. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was a bad night for those guys, wasn't it? Well, he, gave he liked that job, didn't he? <laughs> he gave it back to Beth Thomas with his ball thing, and she, they gave it back to him. That was sweet. That's oh, they had two pockets full. Of one that's, that's funny. That was done. That was done not intentionally. No, that that's different for sure. All right, here's a third one. This might apply to, to many. What if you're not going to make it this month financially? You already know you're not going to make it financially, and it's time to write out your tithe check. What would you do? You're not going to make it this month financially, and it's time to write out your tithe check, what would you do? By the way, just out of curiosity, when should we write the tithe check? First. Yeah, you take it out first. We bring the first fruits. We give to the Lord first. That has good practical sense to it because if you wait till the end of the month to see if there's anything left, it's probably not going to be anything left. But, but let's just say you know that you're not going to make it. You already know. What would you do? Do you still write the tithe check? You say, well, yeah, it might bounce, but I'll still... No, but do, do you still write it? Do you still give it? All right, well, nobody wants to answer that. What should you do? Well, you should write it, but you should. Yeah, you should, right? And you give that trusting the Lord. I'm going to honor God, and I'm going to trust God that He's going to meet my needs. And uh, but you're correct on that. I don't, know, I don't know who it was, but there was somebody in the church that I grew up in that I remember them praying. And every time they prayed over the offering, they prayed for his tithes and our offerings. Yeah. Well, if you look in the uh, bulletin, I usually have it. It's worded that way. At least I did at one point. Yeah, receiving of his tithes and our offerings. Uh, and there's a reason for that. You know, the tithe is his, but then the sad thing about it, and this is not on giving tonight, but just as a side note, sad to say a lot of people get stuck at the tithe. The tithe is where we begin. You know, as God prospers, we should give as God prospers us. Uh, we discussed that some the other night in our Freedom from Business study about what usually happens is instead of us saying, okay, this is a standard of living that we're comfortable, we believe God wants us to be at, and as your income goes up, you remain there and use that money for God's glory and God's work. We usually do the opposite. We usually take our standard of living and we go along. Well, let's just be honest about it. In America, we do this. You know, our standard of living's here and we're not quite making it. 
But, yeah, you're right. You honor God. His times, our offerings. Well, the reason I ask you this question is I want you to see that what we're studying, God's Word, is more than just facts and figures. It's more than just knowledge. It meets us where we live. It's not enough to know the truth. We must obey the truth. It's not enough to know what we ought to do. We ought to do it. And what we have here tonight in Nehemiah chapter 10 is we're calling this study, Do Right. Do Right. Now, if you remember, the book of Nehemiah is divided up into two broad categories or two broad sections. Chapters 1 through 6 covers... You got, you got notes tonight, folks. No, no excuse here. Did I leave it on your worksheet? Wait, some of you wrote it down last week. Chapters 1 through 6 is repair, rebuilding the walls. Chapter 7 through 13 is reviving the people. So repairing and reviving. We're in chapter 10. So what section are we, are we in? Reviving the people. Now, did I give you that little three-point outline about revival? That's on your worksheet, isn't it? Three steps. Chapter 8, we talked about preaching and hearing the word of God. Chapter 9, last time we talked about sorrow for sin and repentance. Chapter 10, tonight's study is on what? Change of life. life. That's what true repentance brings about. True repentance is not just being sorry. You know, some people are sorry. They're just sorry they got caught. Right? True repentance is sorry enough to change. It's a change of mind which leads to a change of behavior. And this is still what we need today. We need the preaching and hearing of God's word. We need repentance and sorrow over sin. And we need a change of life. Now, believers, listen, believers, those who know Christ are to be different. Why? Because we are different. Listen to what God's word says. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Therefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Separation from the world is not a very popular subject among Christians today. I'll just be honest with you. For some reason, it seems that many Christians, those who profess Christ, they want to live as close as they can to the world. I mean, just as close as they can. And not be different. God's word says in second, or first John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, these words. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, we're talking about the world as far as the globe. Is that what we're talking about? We're talking about the world as far as the mass of humanity? We're supposed to love people and reach them to the gospel. We're talking about the evil world system, the evil world philosophy, the beliefs, the worldliness. It says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, so here's what's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God abides forever. By the way, remember when Satan tempted Eve, we find him using those things, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. She saw that fruit. It looked like it tasted good. It looked good. And it was going to make her wise, according to Satan. And she fell for the bait. So we're to be separate. We're to be different from the world. We should have different philosophies. We should have different beliefs. We should have different behaviors, right? There should be a difference about believers because we are different. We are to obey the Word of God. We're to obey the Word of God. Now, This story may be 
made up, but it illustrates the point that this chapter makes. In a certain church, there was a man who always ended his prayers this way. And Lord, clean the cobwebs out of my life. Clean the cobwebs out of my life. Amen. Well, one of the members, the other members of the church heard this fellow praying. And by the way, let's be honest about it. Uh, certain people have certain things they pray every time. Uh, I think about fellows that I grew up uh, listening to in church. Um, one preacher said it's almost like starting up a record player or some people. They put the needle down and says the same thing every time. Uh, but this fellow, this was his, uh, this was his prayer, clean the cobwebs out of my life. And so he got, this other fellow got kind of fed up with this guy's praying and his prayer. So the next time this man got up to pray, he said, Lord, clean the cobwebs out of my life. This other member interrupted, and he said this, while you're at it, Lord, kill the spider. <laughs> kill the spider. <laughs> you know, some people, they, they say they want to change, and they profess they want to change, but they don't really want to change. Um, they want to live in the way they did. Did you notice that old Vance Habner quote I gave you there? Most church members live so far below the standard You'd have to backslide to be in fellowship. Think about that for a moment. If you wanted to be in fellowship, you'd have to backslide. We are so subnormal that if we became normal, people would think we're abnormal. Now take a moment and absorb that in for a moment. We're so subnormal, if we became normal, people would think we were abnormal. We look back in our heritage. We look back in our history. We see the way that people live, the holiness about them. We think, boy, they were kind of strange back then. No, they were close to God. And they loved God. Now, they may have gone too far in certain areas. They may have been even legalistic in certain areas. But listen, God's word is clear. We're supposed to be separate. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be pure. We're supposed to be holy. We're supposed to do right. Now, let's begin our reading here, beginning back in the last verse of chapter 9. Now, remember, when the word is put together here and translated, uh, when it was written originally, it didn't have all these verses and chapters. Okay, A lot of this was letters and and the chapters and verses were added for our convenience. Aren't you glad that's the case? Imagine we just okay, open Nehemiah and find about oh, halfway through the book there somewhere, and there's a paragraph and a word here. Thank God we have the chapters and divisions. But we believe probably this uh, ninth chapter, verse 38, should be the beginning part here. It says, And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. Now, those who placed their seal on the document were, and we get a long list of names. No, we have to stop for a moment. Because verse 38 says, because of all this. So what is all this? Well, let's go back and get a quick review, a quick summary. Go back to chapter 9, verse 32. Now, remember we talked about this last time. We're reviewing the history of, of the children of Israel in this long prayer. Chapter 9, verse 32. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and mercy... Do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us. Our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers, and on all your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. However, you are just in all that, you, that have befallen us. For you, that is God, you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. Neither our kings, nor our princes, our priests, nor our fathers have kept your law, nor heeded your commandments, and your testimonies, which you testified against them. Notice they're confessing their disobedience all throughout their history. Verse 35. For they have not served you in their kingdom, or in the many good things that you gave them, or in the large and rich land which you set before them. 
nor did they turn from their wicked works. Here we are, servants today, and the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty, here we are, servants in it. And it yields much increase to the kings you have set over us because of our sins. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure. And we are in great distress. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. See, let's notice the division. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. See, let's begin reading these names. And we got another challenge ahead of us, beloved. We'll get through this together. Now, those who placed their seal on the document were... Here's the leaders, Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hakaliah and Zedekiah, Sariah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pasher, Amariah, Malchijah, Hatush, Shebaniah, Malak, Haram, Merimoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Gidathon, Baruch, Meshulam, Abijah, Amijam, Maziah, Bilgai, and Shemima. These were the priests, the Levites, Jeshua the son of Azariah. Benu of the sons of Hinnadad and Cadmiel, their brethren, Shebaniah, Hodijah, Kalida, Kalaliah, Hanan, Micah, Rehob, Hashabiah, Zaker, Sherebiah, Shabunai, Hodijah, Bani, and Beninu, the leaders of the people, Parash, Pehath Moab, Elam, Zatu, Bani, Bunai, Asgad, Bibai, Adonijah, Bigbai, Aden, uh, Ater, Hezekiah, Azar, Hodijah, Hashem, Bezai, Hareth, Anathoth, Nebiah, Magbasiah, Meshulam, Hezar, uh, uh, Meshezabel, Zadok, uh, Jadua, Pelatia, Hanan, Ananiah, Hoshia, Hananiah, Hashab, Helohesh, Pilha, Shobek, Reham, Hashbaniah, Messiah, uh, Ahijah, Hanan, Anan, Malak, Haram, and Bama. Praise the Lord. We got through that together. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? Now, those are real people. Keep that in mind. I imagine they read our names. They think, do you think they would think our names are strange? Rodney and Freddie and Toby and Lou and Danielle and... Yeah, but anyway, those are real people that put their name, the, re- the representatives who signed this covenant with the Lord. And as we get into this thing, we see the specific names. Now let's look at the covenant itself. Okay, so we got through the names. I'm not going to read those again. I hope you got it. Uh, we're gonna, if not, look back. But let's get into the covenant itself. And I like Donald Campbell's outline, so I'm just going to use it tonight. I'm going to reinvent the wheel tonight because it was so good. I want you to notice the different elements of this covenant. First of all, there was subjection to the word of God. Look at verse 28 and 29. Now, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nethim, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding. Notice verse 29. These joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in what? God's law which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his ordinances and his statutes. And so they were basically saying, listen, we're going to put ourselves under the subjection of the word of God. We've been saying they've been spending a lot of time in God's word here in the last several chapters. 
Now, we often say this, beloved. We say that the Bible is the final authority for faith and practice. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean when we say the Bible is the final authority for faith and practice? You've heard that said, right? What does that mean? That's right. God's word settles it. You've got a discussion, dispute. What does God's word say? What does God's word teach? And when we say it's the final authority, what does that mean? That, that, that does it. That settles it. No more discussion. If we have the clear teaching of God's word. And I think, beloved, this is the key to this whole chapter. Everything else is going to fall into place under their subjection to the word of God. Now, the same holds true to, for us today. We're supposed to obey God's word. And why is it that so many believers, they don't obey God's word. They don't get into God's word. They don't read it. They don't obey it. And then something goes, you know, just totally awry in their life. And they say, well, what happened? Well, we didn't follow the instructions. Now, that's not to say if we do obey God's word that things will be smoothy and rosy. Why? Because the word says what? In this world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer of overcome the world. We know that all that live God in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But listen, God has laid down the path, the instruction, the teaching, the clear teaching of his word. And we're supposed to obey God's word. Now, sad to say, we live in a day where there's moral relativism and there's whatever feels good, do it. And, you know, well, if it's a good reason to lie, I'll lie. If it's not a good reason to lie, I won't lie. Well, if it'll hurt their feelings, I'll lie about it. But, you know, if I can get around it, I won't or whatever. Well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lie on my expense report, but I'm going to tithe off the top of what I get that month. I mean, you see the warped, weird thinking? We're supposed to do Right, we're supposed to obey. And what you're going to find is what they're doing here, they're obeying the Word of God. So we have a subjection to the Word of God. Notice, secondly, separation from mixed marriages. When I say mixed marriages, I'm talking about what? I'm talking about marriages with the other people, not those who are not children of Israel. Look at verse number 30. We would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land nor take their daughters for our sons. Now, why in the world would they say that? Not well, that's right. Not unequally yet. We talked about that a little bit on Sunday. But let's go back and get it. I didn't write all these down, so jot these references down. I'm going to read them to you. Write down Exodus 34, 12 through 16. Exodus 34. I'll just write them up here so you know. Exodus 34. I didn't write all these down in your worksheet tonight. 12 through 16. I'm going to read it to you. If you want to follow along, you can. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, for you shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous god, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifice to their gods, and one of them invites you and you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons to play the harlot with their gods, that is, false gods. Deuteronomy 7.3 Nor shall you make marriages with them. 
You shall not give your daughter to their son or take their daughter for your son. Joshua 23:12. Or else, if indeed you go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you and make marriages with them and go unto them and they to you. And finally, Judges 3:6. Judges 3:6. And they took daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and they served their gods. And let me, let me just point out what it says, gods. I want you to notice what it's saying. What's that mean? A false God, not Jehovah, not the true God. God was trying to keep his people holy. He was trying to keep them separate. He was trying to keep them from having their hearts turned from him to false gods that his other people served. Now, here's what you need to understand. We touched on this Sunday. The same is true today for the Christian. The same is true. We're not to be, as Dorita mentioned, unequally yoked. You say, where's that come from? Let's go look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, I know the Bible is clear. If a believer is already married an unbeliever, they're not to depart. They're to remain. And hopefully through their witness and testimony and faithfulness to the Lord, their, their spouse will come to know him. But if they're not married, I want you to notice 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 14. And this unequal yoke can also be in regards to business partnerships. It'd be a very unwise thing for someone to enter into a business partnership with an unbeliever, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. Why? You're on two different planets. Mm -hmm. Right? You want to obey God and be faithful to God. They don't. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? Or what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the... Notice this. For you, you, believer, for you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I'll be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, notice what it says, verse 17. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I'll be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, said the Lord Almighty. Now, I like what Proverbs 4.14 says. Jot that reference down if you want. Proverbs 4.14. It's a good one to memorize. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Man, that's good counsel. That's good counsel. Proverbs 4.14. Do not enter. I'll write it up here. Proverbs 4.14. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. So they said, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to give our sons to their daughters and we're not going to take their daughters for our sons. We're going to stay separate and holy. We're going to be faithful to our God. We're going to obey. Where did they learn that? They're going to obey God's law, God's word. Believers, we're to do the same. We could talk a lot of time tonight, take a lot of time, talk about the heartache that's happened in a lot of Christians' lives because they disobeyed at that point. And they live with that. And they live with that heartache. Let's pray for them. Let's encourage them. Let's pray for their unsafe spouses. They'll come to know Jesus. We certainly hope that's the case. Well, we've got to move on. Subjection to the word of God. Point number one. Point number two. Separation from mixed marriages. Point number three. Sabbath observance. Verse 31. If the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day... We would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we would forego the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. You really have two different things here. You have the Sabbath 
the Sabbath day and the Sabbath year. Now, you know, the children of Israel, they were supposed to work hard on the Sabbath day, right? No. They were supposed to rest. Uh, I'll give you just a few references. You know this one probably. Exodus 28 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. And there's other reference we can talk about. That was for the Jewish people. Understand that. That's for the Jewish people. Part of the Ten Commandments. There was also the Sabbath year. What's the Sabbath year all about? Well, notice what it says there. It says in verse number uh, 31, um, we would forego the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every date, or every debt, rather. Uh, lots of references there, Leviticus, Exodus, Deuteronomy, talk about what they were to do in the Sabbath year and, and, and letting the ground rest and also letting people go of their debts and so forth. Now, here's the big question for us tonight. Do we, as New Testament believers, do we keep the Sabbath? Boy, anybody wants to approach that subject. Well, uh, we don't have to share. We, would, we don't have the Sabbath. That's right. Because when is the Sabbath? Saturday. It's Saturday, right? Oh. All right. Well, let's talk about it for a moment then. What do we do at the Sabbath then? Because it's part of the Ten Commandments, right? We don't observe the Sabbath. We observe the Lord's Day. We don't observe the seventh day. We observe... The first day. And what is it of great significance happened on the first day? Yeah, he arose. Now, I gave you a long article in there, and I'm not going to have time to go through it, but if you look in the very end of that, or where is it out? Page, page two. This is from John MacArthur. It says, are the Sabbath laws binding on Christians today? And he gives you about a dozen things there of why it's not. And I'll encourage you to read that at your leisure. But just notice the opening paragraph. We believe the Old Testament regulations governing Sabbath observances are ceremonial, not moral, aspects of the law. As such, they're no longer in force. But we've passed away uh, along with the sacrificial system, the Levitical priesthood, and all other aspects of Moses' law that prefigured Christ. Here are the reasons we hold to this view. And he gives you a dozen reasons there why we do not hold and keep the Sabbath. I mean, if we're going to keep the Sabbath, then we need to change some other things, right? You need to bring a sacrifice to church on Sunday. Okay, right? We need to build an altar. And we need to... What happened? Not, not to cook, Toby. No, we're not, having a, we're not having a pig pick in our barbecue. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't think that all the way through, Miss Teresa. I didn't think Toby's mind went right for that, didn't it? Um, We're no longer under the law, are we? We're in Christ. Christ fulfilled the law. We're no longer to keep the Sabbath. But we do have we do follow a pattern of designating one day a week as unto the Lord. We we observe the Lord's day. And during that time, we come together with God's people. We worship, we serve, we give. And uh, but we don't we don't celebrate and observe the Sabbath any longer. I think it's wise to observe a Sabbath principle. 
So what is that? Well, we, we need to rest. Yeah, we need to rest. We need to keep it, I think somebody mentioned, keep it holy. You know, we really should realize that that day is the Lord's and we should honor him in it. Uh, but we know that we have great freedom in that day, right? I mean, there are those who keep, who are what we might call Christian Sabbath keepers. And uh, they believe very strongly. And, and I, I, I'll not bash them or anything, but I, I don't hold the belief they hold. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm free to travel on the Sabbath. I, I'm free to do many things. But the idea is we give that day to the Lord. Now, I'll let you read that article on your own. It's interesting reading. Uh, I'll give that to you. But let's go on that fourth point for we run out of time tonight. Support of the temple, verses 32 through 39. Also, yeah, back on page two. Also, we made ordinances for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread of the regular grain offering, for the regular burnt offering of the Sabbath, the new moons, the set feasts, or the holy things for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel, and all the work of the house of our God. And... It goes on to talk about what they're going to give to carry on the temple work. We summarized it for you there, Campbell did. They promised to pay a temple tax. They promised to pay a temple tax in verses 32 to 33. They promised to bring a wood offering in verse 34. See what it says in verse 34? We cast lots among the priests, the Levites, the people, for bringing the wood offering into the house of our God, according to our Father's houses, at the appointed times, year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. They pledge offerings of first fruits. Maybe we should reinstitute that. No, I'm kidding. First thing out of your guard, bring it to me. I'm kidding. Uh, but they would bring for the, the support of the priests, the Levites, of those who labor there. They committed to bring offerings for the priests and Levites, verses 37 to 39. In other words, they decided and they covenanted, we're going to obey God and support the temple. Now, do we have a temple today? What is that? Did I write that sentence on yours? We don't have the temple today. What? We are the temple. Didn't we just read that in Corinthians? We are the temple. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, don't answer out loud, but are you caring for the temple? Mm-mm. Boy, we're to go, right? It gets convicting. Now, are we caring for God's temple? We also have, we don't have the temple, we have the church. We have a local New Testament church that we're in tonight. Um, in what ways are we supposed to support the local church? I just want to get your. They had to bring wood and, and offerings and first fruits and and the temple tax and all that. What ways are we supposed to support the local New Testament church? Financially. All right, financially. Why do we have to have financial support? If we want lights, we got to have financial support. If we want water, if we want heat and air conditioning, you like those chairs you're sitting on. Um, we have to have financial support. We want to help missionaries. We want to pay the insurance so we can have events. We want to have a bus to go places. You want to have a pastor. You want to have these things. It takes financial support. What, how else are we supposed to support the local church? All right. Yeah, we have to give not only of our tithe and our offerings, we have to give of our time and our energy, our talents, our spiritual gifts. Yeah, we're to bring people. Now, can one person do everything that needs to be done in this church? No. Absolutely not. Can two people? No. Three people? Four people? It takes all of us working. It takes all of us. And, and we have some who don't want to work. And we wonder, well, why are there vacancies? Because everybody's not working. And God has called. I believe on my heart that God has given us everything we need to do. He's given us everything we need to do what he's called us to do. 
Okay, I'm going to say that again without getting my tongue twied there. God has given us everything we need to do what he's called us to do. The problem is people are not doing what God's called them to do. Okay? Um, that's the reason why sometimes in, in, in churches like such as ours, people wear three hats or four hats. I don't think we've ever wore 20, hopefully, but uh, some people hold double duty. And, uh, of course, God's calling, God's gifting is different. All right, so we support by our tithes, our time, our offerings, our gifts, bringing people. You talked about trying to reach out. We do that. We bring in new people, okay? How else are we supposed to support the New Testament church? All right, keeping a good testimony, keeping a good uh, testimony for sure. Some churches have horrible testimonies. I'll just be honest with you. There's nothing more miserable than going out and knocking on a door, and it hasn't happened here that I recall, but uh, I think it's happened in another place I've been for a short time where you knock on the door, oh, you're from that church. <laughs> you know. Thank God we have a good testimony. Well, let's change gears real quick before we go. If we're the temple, we're the temple... How, are we, how should we care for our temple? The Bible, the Bible says elsewhere, What know you not that your body is temple of the Holy Spirit? We're not ourselves. We're bought. Uh, we're bought by Christ. So how should we care for our temple? Let's get convicted before we go tonight. Okay? Come on. How do we care for our temple? Don't connect You mean physically? Yes, our temple. Is this our temple? Don't be lazy. All right, laziness, gluttony. Boy, that's a popular subject to preach on, right? How many good best friends on gluttony? Not enough. Gluttony is overeating or, or overindulging, even. Okay. Uh, it is. All right, what else? Yeah. We sometimes think about beer or nicotine, but it could be caffeine, it could be whatever. All right, what about rest? Are we supposed to rest our bodies? Yes. Are we supposed to abuse our bodies? You know, there are those who literally abuse their bodies. Right? We should care for our temple. Is that important to God? Yes. Why is it? Well, it belongs to Him. He made it. Yeah, our very being. But here's what else. I believe all my heart that we can't extend our life any longer than God intends for us to live. There's a point in time, but we certainly can shorten it. I really believe that. I can go out the night and sit in front of a bus, and you have my funeral this coming week. I feel pretty strongly about that. But I can also shorten my life in other ways, you know? And so we want to be strong and healthy to be able to serve God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so there's a little bit of something to chew on, no pun intended, as we go our separate ways. Here's the overall lesson we find from chapter 10, I believe. It's this. Do right. How do we know what is right? Right here. This is the final authority for faith and practice. You know the old song that we sing, it simply says these two words. Trust and obey. You know what? If we would practice that, we'd be a whole lot better off. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let's pray. Father, we love you and praise you and thank you for this evening. Thank you for your blessings in our life. Help us to honor you, to obey your word. Help us to honor you in this local New Testament church, to support it. 
And help us to honor you with our temple, our bodies, the temple of the Holy Spirit as believers. Take us our separate ways. Watch over us. Be with the choir as they practice. Be with the children and their families as they go tonight. Just in all things, glorify yourself in and through us. In the Savior's name, amen.